The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's incredibly hard to develop a strategy for a relationship like the U.S.-China relationship, which has political and economic and security dimensions and is constantly shifting with things like Ukraine. So it's hard for them to lay out some overarching silver bullet strategy document. But one thing that they have been very clear about and is evident in these potential sanctions is their emphasis on human rights. Um, That has been a focus of the Biden administration, of Blinken, of NSC. And if they do sanction hike vision, that would show they are willing to use even more tools to address those concerns. I can't say I see this fitting clearly into some overarching strategy, but I would say it reflects their focus on human rights. I'm Jacob Schultz, and this is The Lawfare Podcast, June 3rd, 2022. In May, news came out that the U.S. government was thinking of putting the Chinese video surveillance company Hikvision on the Treasury Department's specially designated nationals list otherwise known as the SDN list. The move would have huge impacts on Hikvision's business prospects in the U.S. and around the world, and would represent yet another escalation in the way that the U.S. government handles Chinese technology companies. To talk through the news and why it's so significant, I sat down with Katrina Northrup, a reporter at The Wire China, who wrote a story about the Hikvision saga, and Alex Iftemi, a partner at Morrison & Forrester, and a former official within the National Security Division at the Justice Department. It's the Lawfare Podcast, June 3rd. Are big sanctions coming for a Chinese tech company? So I I think the best place to start here is with Hikvision. So could you, Katrina, give us a sense of what they sell? You know, why are they a sufficiently important company that we're spending the time to talk about them here? Yeah, so Hikvision is one of the largest security camera companies in the world. It was founded in 2001. It's now a public company. It's listed on the Shenzhen Stock Exchange. And they've been very successful because they have very cheap products. So they're attractive to companies and local governments and individuals who want to buy a, a security camera um, at a low price point. 
And the company says its products are used in 150 countries, including the U.S. So it's truly a global, globally used company. And there are about 4.8 million hike vision surveillance cameras outside of China, and about 607,000 of those are in the U.S. So they're all over the place. They're very ubiquitous. And they're used by a whole range of, of, of different people and companies and governments. And you had some interesting details in the, the piece that you wrote for The Wire about the, you know, some prominent places within the U.S. where these cameras might be. Yeah, there's a platform called Shodan, which allows you to look at devices connected to the internet. And so if you search Hike Vision in D.C., you can see a map of where they are in the city, which is kind of interesting and fun to see. But they are all around the blocks near the White House and the Pentagon and the Capitol. So they are in, you know, some of the most prominent places in DC, as well as I'm sure if you looked up in in New York or in Los Angeles, they would be all over the place as well. And talk a bit about the the ownership structure of the company, right? Is it is this a mostly state-owned company? Is it some combination of state and, and private actors within China? Yeah, so it is around 42% government-owned. Specifically, there's a state-owned company called China Electronics Technology Group Corporation, and that is the company that is the state-owned actor, and it owns the 42% through its subsidiaries. And and that is the largest shareholder. So there's a significant portion of government ownership. The rest is not government ownership. Okay. So we'll come back to Hike Vision in a bit. But the other pillar of what we're talking about here is this list called the, the SDN list. So before we get to why exactly Hike Vision is in the news, why we're talking about them, Alex, could you describe what is the SDN list? So the the SDN list is the centerpiece of the Treasury Department's sanctions programs. It is the specially designated nationals and, and blocked persons list. And it includes individuals, groups, entities that have been designated by uh, or under a, a Treasury Department sanctions program. And so this is the list that includes any individual or entity whose assets are are blocked and and for which US persons are prohibited from from dealing with them unless there is a a license in in place and this includes this list includes both entities that are subject to country sanctions like the you know Syria Cuba Venezuela sanctions and it also includes individuals that that are subject to non-country uh, sanctions, things that are focused on a on a particular subject matter area, so sanctions related to the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction or narco traffickers or, or or human rights abusers. So it's a whole collection of different. Right, there's not just one reason why a company or, or someone ends up on on this list, right? That, that's exactly right. I think that's an important piece to understand about the U.S. sanctions regime, which is that it is not this monolithic list with um, with one standard and one reason for, for getting on the list. It is a compilation of more than a dozen different 
sanctions programs, some of which are regionally based or jurisdiction based, some of which are subject matter based. So uh, malicious cyber actors have their own kind of sanctions program, for example, that they can be designated under that is different than the program for for designating narco traffickers or, or weapons proliferators. And some listeners will probably know the mechanics of how it works, but could you sort of explain, maybe walk us through, like, what is the consequence of being on this list, right? Like, you know, we we hear the phrase that some X, Y, or Z is is sanctioned, right, pretty often, but what does it mean in, in sort of practical terms to be included on this list? Being on the SDN means that individuals in the United States and and also entities that operate in the United States are are essentially prohibited from virtually all dealings with with parties designated on on the SDN list. So you can't buy their products, you can't sell to those entities, you can't provide services to those entities or receive services from from those entities of uh, of any kind whatsoever. And you mentioned that there's all sorts of, you know, different sanctions programs that can lead to someone being on this list. Talk through, if you could, like, what's the, is there a legal standard for adding, you know, a company or a country to the list? And who is, right, who's making the calls to add something to this list? Well, let, let me let me start by sharing a little background on on the structure of the sanctions program. So generally speaking, OFAC sanctions are administered through executive orders that declare a national emergency with respect to a specific issue. And the statutory authority for those emergencies is the International Emergency Economic Powers Act and and the National Emergencies Act. Uh, The first one is AIPA and, and the second one, the NEA. And Essentially, what the president does um, with respect to a specific national emergency is make a determination in an executive order that a situation constitutes an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security, foreign policy, and economy of the United States. And therefore, a national emergency needs to be declared with respect to that threat. And that's how each of these sanctions programs is essentially constituted under its own national emergency that is declared with respect to a a particular threat. And then how an entity or individual is added to one of those programs, it really depends on the particular authority that is relied upon. The executive orders essentially lay out what the standard is for an entity to be added to that that specific program. But this is a process that happens entirely within the executive branch. There's no judicial review of the designations that are made. Typically, there is a proposed designation that the Treasury or another agency within the executive branch would, would put forward that is subjected to an interagency review process. It's also reviewed for legal sufficiency by by the Department of Justice, and and then once that designation is is finalized, it's released along with a press release, and, and an individual is added to to the list. All right. So, with all that in mind, Katrina, could you talk to us a bit about this the newfound potential link between Hike Vision and this list that that Alex has just described to us? Yeah. In in early May, the FT and then Bloomberg 
reported that the Biden administration is considering putting hike vision on the SDN list. So hike vision would be the first major Chinese tech company put on that list. So it caused a big, a big splash. um, And a lot of people responded. Since then, the administration has not move to do this. And I don't think anyone in the administration has publicly confirmed this consideration. And Hike Vision told me when I was reporting on this, I guess now a few weeks ago, that the move is still not verified. Um, So we don't know exactly what's happening. But even the consideration of this move caused a lot of people to to think about it and think about what it meant for kind of the broader approach to sanctions and the broader approach to uh, Chinese tech companies under the Biden administration. And so before we talk about like what might be the reason to add Hike Vision to this list, I, I want to just like pause on why is it so important that this is happening that we're talking about it, right? Like if you follow OFAC or you follow the Treasury Department on Twitter, you see all the time that they add new individuals, entities to this to this list, right? And it often does not get very much attention, right? You can sort of see a couple people tweeting about it, but there's not this sort of concerted focus on it, except in instances, you know, maybe related to the invasion of Ukraine or to, you know, high profile cybersecurity events. But so what is what is so important about this that it's gotten the attention that it has? Maybe Alex would have more to add to this, but I think why it's gotten so much attention is Hike Vision is a is a global Chinese tech company. It's a huge global brand. This addition to the SDN list, people call it, you know, a company killer move. Even Huawei was not added to the SDN list. So this is just you know, a, a big escalation. Obviously, Hike Vision has been targeted by sanctions before, um, and we can talk about that, but this is just a far more wide-reaching sanction. And it's the first time that the U.S. has decided, okay, here's this huge Chinese global tech brand. We're going to put this on the SDN list and essentially bar any interaction with the American financial system. And Alex, any thoughts on that? I would just add, I think Katrina has it exactly right. I would add that there's really no global Chinese tech company that is currently on on the SDN list. So this would be a unprecedented move. And it it may be indicative, it it may be read by by the private sector uh, as well as our allies as a further step toward the economic decoupling of the United States from from China, that if if this is the direction in which U.S. policy will move in terms of of using its nuclear option in terms of of sanctions to to go after Chinese brands, that that there may be more more to come and that we'll see other global brands that are added to it. And essentially, the world will be forced to pick between using the U.S. financial system and doing business with these with these various entities. So it, it has a significant impact, both just in terms of uh, Hike Vision being a a large corporation that does a lot of business in in the United States and, and across the world, but also in terms of what it may mean for the future of 
U.S. sanctions programs and, and how they are used. And, and before we move on, you mentioned there that, right, this isn't just something that affects people within, that would affect people within the U.S. who want to do business with, with Hike Vision. Is that right? That, that's right. It, it is essentially anyone who uses the U.S. financial system and, and transacts in, in dollars. And so the impact would not just be on, on U.S. persons, but essentially anyone who uses our, our financial system. And I think that's one of the unique aspects of the SDN list that is not present with respect to other sanctions programs, which, which is just the multilateral implications of of that kind of designation. And it's why I think you've seen a lot of the coverage of this potential designation emphasizing the fact that the the US is is, is seeking to brief allies on on the potential move because it it has it has implications outside of our shores. And Katrina, from your sense of reporting this story, what's the like the the policy or legal justification that you understand for for putting or potentially putting Hike Vision on this list. The reporting has been that it would be for their alleged involvement in human rights abuses in Xinjiang. So Hike Vision has become very infamous in recent years for being used in Xinjiang, where the U.S. government has said a genocide is unfolding. IPVM, which is a surveillance industry research firm, they've done a lot of great research detailing the exact links between Hike Vision and Xinjiang. So I recommend anyone who is interested to to go on the IPVM website and look at their their stuff. But they've they've dug up government contracts worth millions of dollars. They've found evidence that these cameras are used in detention camps for the Uyghurs. So it seems like Hike Vision has been uniquely involved there, though the company itself has has disputed these claims. It's important to note. So yeah, so they're, they're being sanctioned for their their role in human rights abuses. Is it's not for you know other terrorism or nonproliferation issues that sometimes the SDN list is used for. And just quickly before we move on from that, it, it's the case, right, that there are other. They're not unique and potentially are actually being put on this list for things connected to Xinjiang. Is that right? No, there are other Xinjiang related um, things on the list. I believe XPCC is on the SDN list. Alex, correct me if I'm wrong. So it's just the first, you know, it would be the first global tech company put on the list for for these reasons. And Alex, anything to add on the the note of like why are we potentially putting this company on the list? I think the human rights justification is the the core of uh, of what is likely at issue here. But certainly, there have been other concerns expressed about Hike Vision, um, most notably the cybersecurity, cyber vulnerability concerns about its its products and. That in particular is a concern that essentially because of the prevalence of these cameras in, in the United States uh, near sensitive facilities, that there may be an opportunity through these hike vision cameras for the Chinese government or other, uh, other actors to essentially hijack the cameras and use them 
to to surveil the 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 regions and to and to have access essentially to to the camera footage. This is a concern that has been expressed in a number of different contexts related to Huawei, to uh, China Telecom, to China Mobile, to a variety of companies that that have found themselves on various U.S. sanctions lists. And it's a concern that gets at a general national security fear that because these companies uh, are state-owned, because they have to comply with the direction of of the Chinese government, that they may be more susceptible to, to being used as tools for global espionage and related concerns. And up to this point, has that ever been grounds to you know add a company to the SDN list in particular? Not the SDN list. As I mentioned, there there have been a variety of other tools used in that context, including uh, the the entity list, um, Section eight eight nine of of the NDAA, and FCC rules. But but we haven't seen the SDN list be be used in that way. So you just mentioned there, Alex, the the entities list, and Katrina, you you had noted in your piece that this is a company that's already made it onto the entities list, as as it's called. So. I wonder, Katrina, if you could talk to us a bit about that and walk us through, you know, the sum total of pretty extensive U.S. government actions already taken against Tyke Vision. And Alex, feel free to jump in wherever feels best. Yeah. So in 2019, the company was added to the entity list by the Trump administration. So that means that U.S. companies cannot supply the firm with things like physical components or computer software. In addition, there's legislation that bans the use of federal dollars going to Hike Vision products. And then on top of that, last year, Trump put Hike Vision on the military's company list, which means that U.S. entities cannot invest in Hike Vision. So there are a whole slew of different things going on with U.S. action towards Hike Vision. As we've said before, the new SDN listing would be far more wide-reaching. And there's a sense, many people I talked to for my piece said that, you know, we we have all of these sanctions on Hike Vision already. And, you know, in some cases, you know, and it's been on the entity list for three years already. And yet Hike Vision products are all over the US and all over the world. So obviously something hasn't been <laughs> very effective in targeting it. Uh, the SDN list would be effective in eliminating its presence from the US. Anything to add there, Alex? Just a few thoughts, and and I think Katrina has has that list exactly right. Is it you know the Section 889 prohibitions uh, in the NDAA, for example, those prohibit federal agencies and, and federal contractors from acquiring and, and deploying uh, hike vision. Uh, essentially, it, it, they, they prohibit federal agencies from, from acquiring hike vision technology. So the U.S. government already doesn't do business with with Hike Vision, and so you would not see their technology in any federal facilities. But as Katrina points out, there are a lot of private businesses that are in sensitive locations as well that choose to use these products because they're affordable and and because they 
accomplish their their needs, but nevertheless present a potential security concern for for those federal facilities. Um, there is also a, a a new FCC rule that essentially prohibits the FCC from authorizing new licenses for entities that are on the FCC's covered list. And that list uh, includes Hike Vision along with uh, a number of other Chinese telecommunications companies. And essentially that uh, makes it much harder for Hike Vision to, to sell its products to telecommunications companies or, or to uh, be a part of the, of the telecommunications network. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, lawfare listeners, Ben Wittes here. Want to tell you about the first time I got a report from the folks at Delete Me. It was shortly after I started using the service back in 2022, and they sent me their first privacy report. I have since gotten eight others, and it contained some shocking information. They had removed my data from 56 separate data brokers, that this had included 133 separate records, including 621 individual pieces of personal information. Uh, The data broker with the most information about me was a company I'd never heard of called People by Name. And here's the thing. Since then, every couple of months, I've gotten another privacy report from Delete Me, and it always contains more information that they have removed from the data brokers about me. In the second report, they informed me they had removed my stuff from 41 data brokers and that the one with the most information about me was called HLEC. I have no idea what HLEC is. So the other day, I got my latest report and it includes 15 more data brokers with my personal information, 113 pieces of personally identifiable information, Big culprit this time is something called my life. Well, I want to tell you that they don't have my life anymore. And that is why I recommend Delete Me. As this little anecdote shows, there's a lot of my data out there. And these companies keep acquiring it and making it available to anybody who can pay. And I have uh, slept a little bit more easily ever since I found a solution to this problem. And I want to stress, as I do every time, that I started using this before Delete Me started advertising with Lawfare. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays off. And that's the point of this little story, that you know they keep coming back. You can get it removed once, but they'll put it back 
and then Delete Me comes and takes it off again. It's a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports, just like the ones I've been describing, showing what info they found where, where they found it, and what they removed. And critically, as this story reflects, it isn't just a one-time service. It's always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. It does all the hard work of wiping you and your family's personal information off the web. Data brokers hate Delete Me, which is why I like it. Your profile is no longer theirs to sell. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and use promo code lawfare20 at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and enter code lawfare20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20, code lawfare20. And so by my count, looking at what both of you just said, this is... So we're talking about four separate lists housed in, I want to say, four different components of the executive branch, along with separate congressional action. Why might, like, you've sort of talked through some of the implicit reasons why, right? Like different lists are, pertain to different things, right? Why might the government want to sort of go go all in on adding one particular company to all these different lists that are doing, you know, slightly different work, right? Is it actually the case that these things are not duplicative of each other? Is it the case that each one is is doing a separate and important function? Or is it sort of, you know, the executive branch is a big, you know, there's a lot of different agencies and sub agencies and, you know, people are doing different things. And there's a chance that there's some overlap and overreach and stuff like that. What's your sense, Alex, of of how these things are sort of operating together? First, I, I think it's worth noting just the, the sheer amount of different authorities that are at play here. I think when when most people think about U.S. sanctions, they're assuming something akin to the SDN list and assuming that essentially that's the only way or the only tool to, to impose sanctions. These various different programs are complements to one another. And so it's not so much that they are overlapping it's that each of them is geared at at dealing with a particular threat whether it be the threat to the to the communications infrastructure within the United States or to restricting for example the the export of US technology to an entity that is on commerce's entity list for example they they have different foreign policy goals and so it's not surprising to see some of these entities appear on on multiple lists i i would say that's a, a feature not a bug of the of the system as it's intended to be designed and certainly the sdn list sits at the apex of these various different authorities because its consequences are just so much more significant than than some of these other programs but there are 
uh, a variety of entities, and I, I will say a variety of Chinese entities, uh, including Huawei, ZTE, Hytera, China Telecom, China Mobile, that that are included on a, on a variety of the lists that that we've talked about. And Alex, what's your, you know, you've worked in, in government for a little bit, and you've also been following this fairly closely for a relatively long period of time. What's your sense of how these various, you know, authorities and enforcement mechanisms have, have changed in the past six or so years, especially since the start of the Trump administration? Is it the case that the extent to which they're paying attention to Chinese companies has increased a lot, or is it just that it's ending up in the news more often? What's your... You know, what's your closer to ten thousand foot view of of what might be happening here? It's a good question, and and I I think just underlying that question is a general sense that we've seen a lot more of these tools be used in the last five to ten years, uh, and and they've evolved, and and some of these tools are are new and didn't exist uh, as as of a few years ago. I, I would say actually many of the sanctions tools that we've described here have were either created or significantly expanded during the Trump administration and largely have continued to be used by by the Biden administration. And which ones are those, Alex, before you move on? So for for example, the investment restrictions that prevent investment in in Hikvision, this is a Trump administration EO that that focuses on Entities that have supported the Chinese military—that's a, a new authority that was further revised under the under the Biden administration. The Section eight eight nine sanctions that were included in uh, in the NDAA—I believe that was in either the twenty eighteen or the twenty nineteen NDAA—and the new FCC rules uh, are also uh, new tools that are that are being used much more so than they were. In years past, and, and even in, in, in the Obama administration when I was in, in, in government, there's an expansion of, of tools and I think a greater desire to, to use these tools in, in ways that support U.S. national interests. And there, there's also a, a sense from, from the last few years that these tools have been effective in, in reaching U.S. foreign policy goals. The Entity list designations of of ZTE and Huawei, for example, I, I think have had a significant effect and and have been seen as as policy wins by by the executive branch. And so there is a desire to see how these tools can be used in the future to to, to achieve uh, foreign policy and national security goals. So I want to bring us back for a little bit, at least, to Hike Vision itself. So. Katrina, in the piece that you wrote, you you sort of sketch out what the some of the potential downsides of adding Hike Vision to the SDN list might be. Could you sketch some of those out here for us? A lot of people I talked to said that this is a pretty escalatory step and there are real downsides. In particular, John Bateman at Carnegie, he wrote a long piece about this, and I also talked to him. Um, and his argument is basically this raises questions about where is the stopping point. So if we single out Hike Vision, are we also going to put other Chinese tech companies potentially involved in Xinjiang on the SDN list? Um, what is the criteria that we are using to figure out which ones we add and which ones we don't add? The other part of his argument is that 
he worries that this could result in a kind of runaway decoupling. So if we take these steps, we're not in control of what China is doing in response. And they're already taking steps to decouple their systems from the U.S. So this could lead to an, you know, an escalating decoupling that doesn't necessarily benefit the U.S. So there are people who, who say that this, this move could result in, in serious downsides. On the other hand, there are other people who argue that we have this tool, we have the SDN list, and if we want to take action against companies for being involved in Xinjiang and hold them accountable for you know, human rights concerns, then we should use it. So there's very much still a debate going on about what these sanctions would mean. And, and you had an interesting detail, if I'm remembering right, in the piece that you wrote about people's views on who actually might benefit from these sanctions, right, from a from a business perspective, if, if Hike Vision was to be added to the list. Could you rehash some of that for us here? So the other major security camera companies who are offering the same products as Hike Vision at, at similar price points and with similar features are Chinese companies. So you have Dahua and you have Uniview. And those Dahua is already on the entity list, but obviously they wouldn't be on the SDN list yet. So both Dahua and other Chinese companies would be benefiting from this. There are U.S. and European security camera companies, of course, but most of them, I was told, are at a higher price point. So they're not necessarily a substitute for what Hike Vision provides. And Alex, what do you make of the, the wisdom of adding Hike Vision to this list? Just in terms of the risks of, of doing so, I, I would add that it may force the Chinese government's hand to respond, right? Because of the significance of, of the SDN list and what it would mean for a prized state-owned entity. I think there's a, there's a risk that it would force the Chinese government to show strength and that they would see a move like this to be part and parcel of a, of a global trade war and that they would respond potentially by freezing the Chinese assets of, uh, of U.S. companies or taking other steps to, to restrict trade between the United States and, and, and China. So there is a broader impact, I think, to using the, the tool, uh, the, the SDN list, to go after prominent Chinese companies. That's, that's not to say there isn't a justification for for doing so here as, as Katrina said at the outset of of the podcast you know the track record of human rights abuses that hike vision ha- has been involved in uh, and uh, allegedly are incredibly significant and there may be a way here for the administration to distinguish uh this action from from other companies that are that are you know that have been thrown out as potential contenders to be added to the SDN list and and to see this as a as a one and done designation but that will really depend on what information the the US government provides in making the dis, the designation if it makes the designation and what what the basis for for that designation ultimately is 
And so listening to you both like talk through what the benefits and, and drawbacks of this might be, it's sort of, it seems to me like there's there's almost like two separate tracks that are related, but a bit separate. There's this sort of enforcement practical impact track where, you know, you add hike vision to this list, there are serious, serious, serious consequences to their business and to their, you know, business in the US and with US allies. But then there's also the sort of separate but related messaging point, right? Like what is what is being communicated by putting hike vision on, on this list and what's being communicated by putting, you know, any given Chinese company on one of the the many lists that that we've talked about. I, I'm curious for both of your sense on the messaging point. Like is this the strategy of sort of overlapping and, and different sets of sanctions regimes and ultimately adding these companies to the SDN list? Is is that like a is that effective from a messaging standpoint? Like is it is it the case that there's there's something being accomplished there? Katrina, I wonder for your sense first as someone who sort of kept track of the general decoupling trend over the past couple of years. Yeah, I think to be honest, I think most people read a headline about a company getting sanctioned and they don't really parse out the details of, you know, is this the entity list or is the, this the SDN list? There are very few people who are keeping close tabs, um, like Alex, for example, or, or me, you know, around what type of sanction is this? And so as a result, it's hard to it's hard to parse out what the strategy is if you're not looking at it from that granular level of detail. And I think I think if the Biden administration makes the call to put this on the SDN list, it will be important for them to make sure that their messaging is clear. Um, as Alex said, is this a one and done? Or is this the beginning of a new trend of them putting, you know, big Chinese tech companies on the SDN list? And to make that clear will be important for a lot of different stakeholders. And also it will be important for how it determines the Chinese response. And Alex, what's your sense of that? I'm not sure that I, um, I guess that I have a different sense of it. You know, what What I would add to to Katrina's good thoughts is I think there is value to having a variety of different tools because it allows the U.S. government to pick between a variety of different options that ratchet up the consequences of of appearing on, um, on a list. So if the only tool in our toolbox was the SDN list, it, it would leave very little room to ratchet up pressure when tensions increase or when certain threats emerge that warrant uh, more severe action. But at the same time, there are a variety of different options at various different agencies for various different reasons to essentially signal signal that you know an, a, a company's actions are against U.S. national interests. And so having a variety of these tools, I think on balance is helpful, but I absolutely agree with with Katrina that the vast majority of folks who think about sanctions don't recognize the difference between these various programs and see it as a bit more of a, of a monolith. And Katrina, your beat is, right, in large part, tracking companies in China with, you know, 
their relationship with the U.S. and tracking Western companies with their relationship with China. And when you see this, when you saw the news about Hike Vision and reported out the piece, does this sort of feel a part of some some broader strategy, right? Does it feel like a coherent piece of an overall puzzle, right? So, I mean, maybe just as an example, in late May, Secretary of State Blinken gave a speech, you know, talking about what the Biden administration's strategic posture toward China is. Does this feel sort of of a piece with that? Does it feel like there's there's a game plan in place here? There's been criticism that the Biden administration took a very long time to lay out exactly what their China policy framework is and what their goals are. And finally, as as you said, last week, after months of rumors and a COVID-related delay, Blinken gave his his China policy speech. I don't think there were a lot of surprises in there and the administration was really downplaying expectations. They unveiled a new slogan, invest, align, and compete. But besides that, I don't think there were many things that people were surprised by. But I don't, to me, I don't think anyone who has been critiquing the clarity of the policy would have seen that speech and said, oh, now I have clarity I think there will still be concerns about a lack of overarching strategy and therefore moves like this, moves like putting hike vision on the SDN list can seem kind of random. On the other hand, I think it's hard. It's incredibly hard to develop a strategy for a relationship like the US-China relationship, which has political and economic and security dimensions and is constantly shifting with things like Ukraine. So it's hard for them to lay out some overarching silver bullet strategy document. But one thing that they have been very clear about and is evident in these potential sanctions is their emphasis on human rights. Um, That has been a focus of the Biden administration, of Blinken, of NSC. And if they do sanction hike vision, that would show they are willing to use even more tools to address those concerns. So I can't say I see this fitting clearly into some overarching strategy, but I would say it reflects their focus on human rights. And that is a great place to end. Thank you both so much for for coming on. Thank you. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. If you like the Lawfare Podcast, you might consider checking out our other podcasts and our broader family of Lawfare Podcasts. There's The Aftermath, a narrative podcast series about efforts at accountability after January 6th. There's Allies, a new narrative podcast series about the special immigrant visa program and the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And then there's also Rational Security, Chatter, and Lawfare Noble. Please rate and review the Lawfare Podcast if you use a podcast service that allows you to do so. And please do consider sharing us widely. And while you're at it, think about becoming a Lawfare material supporter at patreon.com slash lawfare. Material supporters get access to special events and special privileges. The podcast is edited and produced, as always, by Jen Patia Howell, and I was your audio engineer this week. Your music, as always, is performed by Sophia Yan. Thanks so much for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.